Hello, I'm Arnold Hamilton, editor of the Oklahoma Observer. And I'm Marianne Martin. And this is Observer Cast, your weekly deep dive into Oklahoma politics and policy. Presented by the Mary Lou Lemon Foundation. We're in interim study season here in the Oklahoma legislature where members bring ideas to the table that either get knocked off or get approved for a hearing by their respective leaders of their their chambers. And um, today we're uh, talking about workforce development specifically for our disabled Oklahomans or Oklahomans with disabilities. Um, if you look at the disability, I'm sorry, um, the Oklahoma Rehabilitation Services website, um, you'll find out that 614,000 Oklahomans, um, so that's nearly one in six, more than one in six, have disabilities. Um, so out of a population of 3.8 million people, 614,000 of us have a disability. Um, but when it comes to employment, uh, there's kind of some special wrinkles here. Um, so the uh, almost 30% of Oklahomans with disabilities uh, have incomes that place them below the federal poverty level um, compared to 12.1% of Oklahomans without disabilities. And then the median annual earnings of an Oklahoman with a disability is $38,000, which is below um, workers without disabilities. Also, um, like, you know, so supplemental security income through uh, Social Security, it's not easy to get, but 17.3% of Oklahomans with disabilities um, receive it. Um, but but also, uh, you know, if you look at the numbers um, when it comes to employment, that's pretty, it's pretty um, stark when 40% of work, working age Oklahomans age 21 to 64 were um, Oklahomans with disabilities are employed. Compare that to the 79.2% of persons without disabilities who have employment. So we're speaking with Representative Ellen Hefner today to talk about her latest interim study. Um, and we're glad that she could find time for us. So Representative Hefner, it's great to see you again. I'm glad you could be with us today. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and then tell us about these interim studies that you're working on this, this fall. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, Ellen Hefner, uh, representative for District 87, it's Northwest Oklahoma City, just south of Hefner Lake. Um, there, I have four interim studies and they all are geared towards uh, workforce and uh, all have to do with Oklahomans who have a disability. I had two this week um, in one day, which was quite a bit, but one of them was on um, uh, 14C uh, certificates, which are sub-minimum wage. Um, peace rate is what it was called. A lot of people don't know about it, but for people with a disability, these are the contracts and how they get paid. Do you guys know about 14C? No, no, oh. news to me. This Well, this is something that started a long time ago. I think it was World War I. Um, that we had people come come home from the war and had disabilities, and so we wanted to give them some work. So peace rate is, if I can just give a little bit description about it, if someone does a task in an hour and can do maybe a hundred of something, and someone else can only do, and they so they would get paid for that hundred in that hour. Um, if they do not have a disability or can do the work, 
Another person who um, may do that same job, maybe only be able to do seven. And so they would get paid um, for that seven, I would get paid for the hundred. So if I get paid a dollar, they would get seven cents. And literally some, some people would have checks for 57 cents. Through the years, um, the uh, federal um, has come back and they've, I think there's been a bill for the past decade on um, getting rid of these certificates. Um, everyone should be able to work. We have work, you know, uh, we, we have employment first here in the state. And um, so if, if anyone should be offered that job first, same with people with disabilities, and we try that, that, and so, um, but we still have these certificates, you know, that people have. I think there's, what was the study? 38, I believe. We still have 38 workshops with uh, maybe close to 2,000 Oklahomans that still get paid like this. And so we had this great study that talked about all sides, like parents who are afraid that maybe their child couldn't do that. Um, employment. It's called competitive competitive integrated employment that they're all going to move to, which would mean um, hourly rate. And so um, some parents were concerned, you know, my child's going to be not be able to do the job. Um, my child will be at home and not have any, you know, sense of work um, and uh, accomplishment and all that stuff that we get at our jobs. And so we have to hear all of the people in the room about this. And then uh, our ask, I did, did that study with Representative Deck, and our ask was that we have a, um, uh, oh my gosh, I forgot it, what it's called. When we all get together, we have people from all and we, um, and to have a task force and a task force to make sure that we can implement this. So we, when the federal, they do pass something like this, because the, it looks like that's going to happen, um, that we're ready for it, that we don't leave people behind. And uh, we don't just say, instead of working, you have to go to a day center. And, th and that seems to be the idea that's happening. So we, we can be creative about this. My thought is, you know, there are, um, there are these contracts are with companies. And these contracts have to do with either putting parts together in a package or making boxes full of things that go, if you wanna make a widget or whatever, the, these contracts come from a company. I think that have I, I've said with all the bills that I pass and everything I talk about is we put the weight on the parents to figure it out instead of putting the weight back on the company to say, you could pay more, you know? Um, these are sub minimum wages we are paying humans. so you could pay more. There's a bit of, I think, an understanding that we all have to have some stewardship in this and um, companies should be able to pay more. Um, and uh, so, but a little bit of everything, we got to figure it out. So that's why we asked for a task force. The other interim study is about um, all the supports that we could give employers and employees, um, employees who have a disability and employers to hire people who have a disability. Um, through uh, DRS, Department of Rehabilitative Services. There are a lot of things that um, that we're unable to figure out or get, or you know, they've never been able to get that, that maintenance of effort to get the federal match. So my study was to try to bring about maybe what's needed, um, maybe what DRS is needed there, and maybe what we could do in the community, especially with Voc Rehab. Um, career tech was just knocked it out of the park with being a presenter. I learned so much. 
the State Department of Ed, um, there's a new grant that came out. So Lori Chestnut came out, was amazing. So much information. I've known uh, Lori Chestnut through the disability world for a while. And this this, um, grant that she got is just going to be great for transition and um, and for people to get to those jobs. So what are the things that we need? And I'm, I'm real excited about that because I think agencies just do their agency thing. And I I like I think we all should be at a party together and talk and see how we can help families. So I hope that that grant does that well. And I have one more on Monday. One more on Monday is Oklahoma Promise and opening that up for students who have an intellectual developmental disability not only to the programs that we have at three of our state schools, um, OSU, OU, and uh, Northeastern State University, but also our career techs um, and how to, um, you know, if you have a disability and you're a student that's graduating from high school in Oklahoma, Oklahoma Promise isn't open to you. <laughs> so let's let's just not give the Oklahoma Promise that, that opportunity to students who don't have a disability. And so how can we make that work? Um, and so that those are my, those are the three studies that I have uh, with uh, disability. So it it's really strange to me that I, I, I don't I don't mean to discount it, but it's just really strange to me that people with disabilities are like intentionally written out or undercut in pay in this way, right? Like uh, I mean, it, it it's it's interesting to me too that a lot of the the peace rate that you're talking about um you know originated after the war when we had you know i'm just you know service service members with i'm sure like lost limbs and you know and ptsd and stuff like that but i mean to discount the the worth of your labor <laughs> um in that way and then to carry that over onto um you know, like you said, humans, um, I mean, it's just astonishing, right? Like, like, because they aren't typically, you know, they're not neurotypical or typically, you know, physically developing, they're, they, they get paid less. The, the great thing that we had, and um, we worked with, um, uh, Deborah Copeland, who's the CEO over at, uh, Dale Rogers training center. Mm-hmm. And they still have a certificate, but and they have been moving towards um, uh, hourly pay, and they do have a lot of employees that that work and get paid by uh, by the hour, and um, and they do still have their uh, contracts for the the workshop is what they call it, um, and so she interviewed um, employees and um, talked to people that go through the Dale Rogers Training Center, and all of them asked were asked the question. Um, do you like to get paid piece piece rate or do you like hourly? And all of them, of course, said hourly. And mm. the, the next question is, well, why? And they go, because it's more money. So we're still doing this to people who know that they could make more money, but those opportunities for them are are not open. Now, I, I can blame all on 14C or workshops. You know, I, I had to come to a piece with Dale Rogers when I visited like, oh gosh, 15 years ago. And I disliked the workshop. It was just not, I, not for my son is what I'd say. And now yeah. I come to the point where I have understanding with parents on that safety and risk thing. 
here I am with, okay, we have safety, but I want to take that risk so that my son could enjoy his life a bit. So we have to put the supports in so it's not too risky. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I where I am with jobs. And I, I think we'll, my son could do something, you know, we'll get him a job someplace and he'll make a wage, you know, he did not like the workshop when he saw it. But now I've working with Deborah and seeing all these employees that are just like, absolutely, I want to get paid more money. And then the next question is, what do you do with your money? Spend it on things I want or pay bills. So just like everyone else. So for me to do those same sort of same and different, you know, same and different. It's the that same as we have a job, we make money and uh, we spend it on things that we like and even stuff we don't like, like bills. And different is may get paid less here. You know, maybe his hourly pay is not going to be as much as someone else. But for goodness sake, let's just give him that hourly rate instead of the piece rate, you know. So, so do you get a, a sense that we we in Oklahoma are behind the curve on these issues? Are, are there other states that are way ahead of us and doing it right? And if so, let me get you. I here I'm going to get my my cheat sheet here, but I've look at my this is all the my notes and stuff from the interim studies. We have this fact sheet that I could give that I could send to you. Here it is. Um, about 14C, like I said, there are there are 15 states that we have that are not waiting on the federal government to change this. So we do have um, 15 that says we're phasing out already. So we're not behind the curve that much. We there, there's this great um, our Oklahoma Disability Law Center, um, so great. You know they they work very well. They've been they've been and and uh, Deborah Copeland with. Uh, Dale Rogers Training Center and New View, and I'm going to count keep people out of the coalition that they've started. I think a couple of years ago, when they heard it was coming around, they already started to do this work. But now they are coming to us, and they're going, "Okay, we need to educate. We're, we're going to need some help before we try to pass any kind of bill." And so here's where I love interim studies: is if we can get everyone to pay attention, you know we can do some education before it hits committee because you know how committees are do pass and two mm -hmm. pass in second, you know, we don't get any conversation to educate. And then on the next side that, you know, we on the floor, we'll already know the questions that they may ask that we'll be ready for. So for me, I like to, we're trying to do this loaded on the front end. The, the other good thing is, um, you know, uh, the person I was talking to on the phone to talk about, you know, this interim study on Monday is, you know, he was just like, oh, God, I hope that when my child's able to go to college, that this will be able to be an opportunity for him. And, and I said, I, I know your son's timeline. We're, we're heading there. It's going to take just a little bit, but the, but I said, I'm going to leave you with a little good news. I told him that representatives call me from all different districts and ask me questions on how can I help someone in my district who has a disability. Wow. Yeah, I, I think that's great because if it's coming from, if I'm looking for an answer for them, then it's coming with a little bit of a parent perspective who uses the services. Mm -hmm. Agencies sometimes don't know what it is on the other end. So if I have experience with working with a case manager, a DDS provider, uh, if my you're talking about an IQ test or something for an adaptive house or 
I, I know those paths to go to. So I told my friend, the good thing is, is that they're asking me. And mm -hmm. so they're looking at me as some sort of expert, um, that it is effective that we have a voice where the rubber hits the road um, right there, who's in the same chamber as them. So I think that because of the education that we're doing ahead of time, I think that this that this is going to go this is going to go well. Um, and we may be able to get a task force this session who we don't know what else is going to be be something that we're all scrambling about instead of something like this. But the education, I think, I've, is is really important, and it's and I think people are paying attention. Well, and I don't think you can underestimate the personal relationship value in in working on these things because as other legislators come to you and see you as an expert, and as you help them help their constituents, it makes them all the more aware of the possibilities and the opportunities here, and a lot seems to me that they'd be a lot more favorably inclined instead of just automatically assuming, well, why do we want to do that? You know, I don't know. You know, that's how's that going to affect business? Well, you know, and I'm sure you both know that attitudes are the hardest to change. So I just started. I'm new here still. Um, I'll still take that. <laughs> I think I said that the last time I was with you guys. I'm new here still. So I'm building those relationships. And I, I, I believe that those are the that's the way that we're going to change some of this policy. Um, I I have um, people tell me all the time that, oh, you know, politics don't work like that, or politics is always someone's answer. And I'm really not satisfied with that. Again, I think that there's a lot of this sweat work we can do with talking to each other and 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 seeing what um, seeing what else we can do to try to make things move a bit more. Um, institutionalized thinking with people with disabilities, which is where workshop stuff is too, you know, that's institutionalized thinking and sort of medical model stuff. When my son may have some medical, but he's going to have so much life that he needs community. He needs a job. He needs to, he needs a great sense of self and to be happy about what he's doing that work does for all of us, you know? So um, that's, that's more of my focus on, on building those relationships for that. You know, I, I mean, it's, it seems to me like a big part of, you know, the work that you're having to do is just uh, reinforce the idea that they may be Oklahomans with disabilities, but they are still fully human. You know, they still have fully human needs um, in that their worth is no less. Um, cause, Cause I'm a bit big stickler on, um, it matters to me, you know, I value my labor and the work that I do. Um, it should be compensated fairly, you know, it's a big deal to me. And so to see these, these, you know, these adults, um, you know, that were once kids like my kid, right? Like, I, I just, it, it really, oh, it, it kind of breaks my heart that there's just not that thought to, these are fully human individuals. Um, they deserve no less respect. Um, than any other working adult, you know? Oh, yes, heard, definitely heard. Um, but we do have to change families' minds too. Like I said, that risk and safety. Um, and and because we've sort of been taught too that that might not be for your child and we, we, we're, we've really been attached to that model, you know, it's going to take a while, but that that's still okay. I'm... Um, I mean, I'm not, uh, that's, that's not going to make me stop. We'll just keep, 
keep going, try to make those changes. Um, My representative deck had said our motto in Oklahoma, you know, labor conquers all. So that should be that, you know, he reminded me after the 14C study that we did and he brought that up and I go, exactly. You know, this is in all Oklahomans. So we're, that we're making it aware um, I'm giving some grace to. So sometimes you don't know. So I, I guess part of me doesn't, you know, it, it's hard to fathom. And, and maybe it's just a case of people have never experienced it firsthand like you have, or maybe they don't, they don't know it, anyone who fits in this category. But why in the world you would want to sort of not take advantage in terms of building your economy uh, a, a willing and workforce um, and and uh, and finding ways to to maximize their outputs which then help maximize them as citizens uh, in this state it, it seems like it's a no-brainer to me but is is it just because it it is so foreign you think to so many uh, policymakers that um or or is there you know is it possible too that there's just a there's not a lot of policy making experience on this front if you're thinking about the fact that we're still operating on world war one sort of era um you know standards in certain ways here um that it's it's just now people are beginning to sort of think outside that box and figure out ways forward that that do maximize those opportunities i th- i think it's a little of both um i think i i do think that you know if you we do have a little bit of separation of people with disabilities from you know that especially from college like if you are going to college and you're meeting your lifelong friends you know you have those friends those fraternities, sororities, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of people there with, who had an, you know, a developmental intellectual disability. So, and then in schools too, we separated that as well. So unless you knew, oh, I think that family has someone with a disability. So we're opening that up a little bit more. And, um, and, you know, there's no, uh, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll think that we're changing the way we look about that as well. So I think that's some of it. Um, and then to have, you know, someone at, uh, nationally said, we don't want these anymore. You know, we want to get rid of these certificates. So that started before we, you know, we started doing it here in Oklahoma. Although there are a lot of, there are a lot of places that families that didn't want to do that. Um, and so they would try to find other ways for their child to work, or they would just keep them at home, which is also bad. I have a friend, uh, just think she's fantastic. Her name's Robin Arter. She's in Duncan and she has a, she has, she's been doing this, she says for 30 years, but her, her dad and her have group homes. And um, they decided years ago that they were going to get away from these 14 C certificates and they did. And so she gave testimony um, in there that talked about how she did it. And she would, she told me before she was going to testify, I kind of begged her to do it. Not begged her. She was like, I'm not going to speak in front of people. And I go, yes, you are. You're good at it. And um, she, she said it, 
it took, it won't work in a big city because, you know, they're small town kind of thinking. And I go, I, you, you have to stop saying that because we all, even though Oklahoma city is big and Tulsa is big, we each focus in our South side, Northwest side, you know, midtown, uptown, downtown. I mean, there's, we have different ways to look at it. So how do we replicate that? And she worked very hard with her chamber. The chamber knows her. They understand what she does. She started a, a garden. She has a store now. She has a, you know, she got rid of the, the workshop that they did. And um, so she really tries to do individually, which is what it requires, is that we look at someone individually and try to find a job if we do employment first for disability and tries to find them a job. And it's just incredible. She's had such success to the point where companies in her city are calling her and saying, we need someone to work at our Chicken Express, or we need someone to work at our new, we're going to open up an H2O. And so we need someone to work there. And um, and I think that says a lot about how it, how it should be. We, we needed someone to work here. Where do we look for for who needs a job? And 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 with Department of Rehabilitative Services, we could be able to get a job coach, no cost to the employer. The employer would be trained on how to do that and have a job coach until they don't need a job coach. And from all the statistics that I've read, the majority of people that have an intellectual developmental disability and get in a job stay there. Good, good employees work you know, want to be accepted and be in a place and have a purpose and a job, you know, all those things that are great. So, um, so we just have to replicate that more, you know, we just have to get that out. I, I know that I was told that the interim studies that we were doing, um, that I spoke, just mentioned it to someone at the chamber and they go, no, 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 we're, we're paying attention. You know, we're, we're paying attention. Um, Loft was there too. They're, they're paying attention on how, um, we have, if we only have in the, the recent data we have is in Oklahoma, only 40% who can work, who have a intellectual developmental disability are working. We got 60% that want a job, could have a job. So um, I think some of those things that were brought up is nothing solved easy. We have to get more people interested in looking at this. We have to have agencies, you know, really do a better job of making that a seamless sort of application process for us to get through. And I think that in at least five years, we'll see more people getting hired and more uh, businesses um, hiring people who have an IDD. This this may be way, way beyond what you're looking at to this point, but I, I was thinking about when you were talking about the job coach coaches and, and Department of Rehabilitative Services, which does an amazing job. Um, but I couldn't help but think if you can begin to tap into this 60% that would like to have a job, but doesn't currently have a job, uh, do we really have the staffing to provide the coaches? Cause I, I keep harkening back to our prior discussions about trying to eliminate the disability services waiting list and sort of this notion of, well, congratulations, we're, we've eliminated, you're no longer on the list, but there's nobody who can provide you the service that you need because there aren't enough of those providers out there. And, you know, I, I just, I wonder if that's a potential hurdle in all this, or if you know whether, yeah, they really already have the resources, or we know we're going to need to 
bump this up another 20% in terms of what we commit to uh, Department of Rehabilitative Services to ensure that we do or can meet the needs? Yes, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, that, yes, um, having, having um, someone that could take those roles as a job coach, we need that. We don't, um, I don't think it's just a pay raise. I think they maybe need to get a pay raise, which I think DRS did get. Um, but it it also takes us looking at it differently. We we have these things that we use all the time that could do some of that job coaching because sometimes a person just needs to be monitored. And a monitor can be checking in with a phone. There's safety things we can put in. There's maybe some, some other things that we could put in to help make sure that people are on task or where they are at certain points of their job coaching. Um, and we don't have to have someone there physically if they're at some stage of job coaching. There's all there's all different kinds of job coaches. So I think that we could start looking at, and I've really, I would like if you have any push with any social security or getting any of that modernized, but we need a modernization of, of the process. The, mm -hmm. the process is not for the communication for us in our world now that's 24 hours instead of just nine to five working. Um, it's it's really, really, um, it's really, really difficult for families. And if I say social security, then that means everything else. Any application that I fill out for my son is a process. And again, I think I told you that the last time we talked, when they tell a parent, it's only hard in the beginning, why? How can we make it not hard in the beginning? And um, so a lot of that has to do with it as well. If we make it easier to understand, we may have more employers hiring. We may have more employees getting jobs. We have maybe have more job coaches that may be able to do a couple of tasks. I don't know. But um, I, I know other states are doing it. Um, and I think uh, DRS does need their federal match. But uh, I don't think that's the only thing that will get us there. Well, I, I'm also I must say that I'm, I'm fascinated by your description, at least, uh, of what Career Tech brought to the table because Career Tech is just such a jewel here in Oklahoma, um, you know, and a, and a really a national leader. And I'm curious if you can sort of give us uh, an overview of, of sort of the specific things that they suggested they would be able to do it totally um it really opened up um a lot more than i knew uh what they were doing so for tech um you know they have voc rehab that goes right now that goes into career tech and i was talking to my new friend shauna nord um today at, sorry a couple days ago she was she's going to be presenting at the oklahoma promise uh interim study but her and I were talking about how we've done a great job now that we can extend high school for students who have a who are on an IDEA. Um, and how do we a 504 too? And so how do we continue that voc rehab into what they do at um, Career Tech? And she gave me this all of the things that they're doing um, with certifications for students who are in their special ed program. Um, they do uh, 
it depends on disabilities and what supports you need. But sometimes when we think of disabilities, there's only one model that we have. Some people do, can do a lot of physical labor work, but need prompts, need help, need that encouragement, whatever voc rehab helps you in the beginning. And so there's um, you, driving, culinary, construction trainee, uh, building Honda engines, apprenticeships. Apprenticeships I've read and studied about across the nation is what they're looking at to help people who have may have a better understanding about how to do some technical work, but need a longer period of time for training, which is an apprenticeship. Those kind of things. And then to be a technician or a certified technician through this program, um, this is all falls under their uh, special education at Career Tech. And it really opened up my eyes to more than just what I understood, because my son didn't go through Vogue Rehab, of what maybe is more out there. My, my son would have never done any of those. I, I don't think so. He's more in the arts and entertainment, which I'm really not encouraging, not discouraging, but just <laughs> he says he wants to be an actor. Um, but all these sort of hands-on physical things that we need. We need more. We we keep talking about workforce, workforce. Here's definite jobs and good paying ones. So if we have someone that can be paid a salary instead of being on SSI, which is supplemental security income, which is $841 a month, that is life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. To be dependent on government benefits and Medicaid is not it, it it's just not that what you were talking with job good life and all that um and so having uh if you can yeah let's go this way but um more often than not we just depend on what um social security it helps families i'm not saying it doesn't but i think we're missing out on a whole lot of people who who that wouldn't be their best life path maybe a job and um, something to actually earn an hourly wage would really help fill the, that void that we have here in the state. Isn't that a conservative approach, though? I mean, I, I'm sitting here thinking about the Republican supermajority, uh, and I'm thinking this, you would think, would be a natural. You're, you're talking about options beyond simply collecting an SSI check every month. What? I think that that's, well, that's that coming from that institutionalized thinking, because maybe in their understanding and world, you know, SSDI and SSI are the same thing. That's, they're not, you know, um, you have to have had a job to get SSDI. SSI is where my son is, who didn't have a job before he got it. So, um, so I think that they just don't understand. I mean, there are so many layers in the disability world of services, benefits, uh, what can you get? What can't you get? What, how much can you have, you know, to stay on these programs? I mean, there's, there's so much into that side that I think it's easier for them to just think, to not think of them. Does that make sense? That it's, it, it's not saying that they're not thinking of them on purpose. It's just never been one of those things that's come to them to think about like that. Now we're opening it up a little bit more and saying, let's just think about this differently. Maybe there's something here that we're missing. And um, I want to always work into with everyone there. If it's a conservative way to look at it, and I, I look at jobs, that's that's fine. I mean, 
Um, and if they agree with me, which a lot of them do, um, there's some questions still that they take on that safety role for other constituents. I get that. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone else should be in that safety role. Does that make sense? Um, I think that that's where we stop ourselves sometimes by going, oh, no, 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 that population we have to protect. And then we forget about all the other that people that are caught in that. I might be able to work and make a better job and and then be able to you know, pay taxes and um, afford a house of my own. Um, my friend Robin also talks about this story and she is um, that I really like them. Uh, uh, they, this couple, um, by being married, if you're on benefits, you get less benefits. So just to let you know that it's called the marriage penalty if you are on dis if you're on SSI uh, benefits. But what they are doing, and you can get still benefits by having a job. There's a balance that that you can do. So there's more to this as well. There's a lot of layers. But they, one of the things that Michelle wanted, Michelle and Donnie are their names. And one of the things Michelle wanted was she wanted to have a house. She wanted to have a house with a backyard. And uh, with the amount of money that they can save because they're on benefits, they're Medicaid, you can only save, you can only have up to $2,000. That's it. And, and um, so you can't really put down a down payment, you know, if you're just working with that. So ABLE accounts, I talk about those all the time. I've, you know, I think I've got a bill passed with that too. But ABLE accounts are great that you can put it in a special account. It's called like a 529. So it, it everyone knows about it, but you're doing it the right way. So you protect your benefits. And so, um, so that's what they did. And they have their own house. And they were the first ones in the nation to purchase a house for themselves. They did have, they do have a lot of help from their parents, not with money, but with support, which is great. I mean, that that's how we all get through life is with support. So Donnie and Michelle have their house, but Donnie and Michelle also have jobs. Donnie and Michelle work. She works at Brahms. He works at, gosh, where does he work? I forget, but he works with other people. He's the only one who has a disability and he's part of the team. They are, he has community, he has friends, they, they like, you know, that from, they, it's part of the team sort of thing. So in telling all that, this stuff can be replicated. And so I just think that these stories, no one's heard about it, you know, and I'm, I hope that this is the first time you've heard about it, because now you can have more stories too, that you can tell. And so that we can, by doing this, we just keep passing it on. And so we, change those attitudes of, okay, how do I balance that safety and risk? Because we got to get parents on board. We've got to get employers on board. We got to get employees on board as well. So if, if, if you, what, what's your best case scenario then moving forward with all this, understanding that the policymaking process can be pretty long, pretty lengthy, and it can be convoluted at times, and it can go in fits and starts and all those kinds of things. Uh, getting, a, getting a formal task force approved, is that sort of the initial goal here then? For 14C and that, that study that I did with that, that's the initial. So we'll do that. And then after having a task force and then them reporting out, we'll have another interim study uh, and then if I I said I'm going to run again, and hopefully if I'm elected, then 
maybe that next, uh, the 60th legislature, there could be a bill that gets on the floor. And if it's, and if everything's moving swimmingly, it, if we've done all of our work in educating, I don't think that we'll have a, um, uh, I, I think that it could move forward. Um, on the other side with DRS and employers and employees and, and having jobs, I think that's just attitudes and changing attitudes. I think that that is more of an education for uh, agencies to do their job and to, to let us all know what you're doing and how you can help employ employers. And then, and on family side, how do we also take that burden off families to figure everything out and make the process a bit easier so we can help our kids get those jobs with voc rehab or job coaches. Um, so just talking about that more and letting them know, okay, everyone knows about it. How are we all going to do this better? Because we've, we've been doing it okay, but since you guys didn't know about a lot of this or, and then, you know, the legislature doesn't know a lot about this. We're not doing a, a good enough job about telling it. And I, I blame myself as well, you know, as an advocate, it's harder to, to, um, to, to keep telling those stories, but you know, once we've got the waiting list taken care of, which is great, okay, we're moving on to other things that can add to um, those the, that those lives. What else makes a good life? A job, a home, you know, um, community, all those things we're just going to keep on adding. So do you envision like a, a, a one-stop shop online for folks who are looking for state services that could help, whether it would be through Department of Rehabilitative Services, through Votech or Career Tech, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, but a place where they could go and say, this is what fits my child, or this is what fits my relative or friend or or whatever, something like that. Or or is it as simple is, is it like T set with, you know, lots of ads on TV and, you know, different things like that that get people to thinking, oh, there's a place that I can go and I can get help. I think there's um I think there's a couple things. One I think is is a website. Um but a but one that is not just totally done by a, a PR firm or someone that does that. You know, we have to have the user side on that. Um and part of that um the grant that the State Department of Education got Lori Chestnut spoke about having a website that you go in and let's let's make it easy. What do you want? If you're an employer going into that, if you're an employee or whatever that is on transition and how we let people know what they can do, um, I think that that would be great. It's it's a difficult path to figure out. So a website. Another thing that I had, oh, was this is a dream. If I'm going to dream for a minute. So this is my dream. Everyone loves and maps. It was a part of maps. Palomar. Palomar is a great place that you walk in and they use the same sort of language that we do in the disability world about having someone navigate you through the systems. If just as people that walk into Palomar, families who are walking into, you know, having a child with a disability and trying to figure out some of these very hard pieces to put together. And like I said, the background of my life is chaos. And to have someone handhold you a little bit through the process that we could do that. And I know we have a statewide services and all that, that we we wouldn't just have one, but to have one and to have everyone who works in that, whether it be by Zoom virtual, that they all talk together and can share 
clients, things. Hey, don't you guys do something over there at Sooner Success or Sooner Start? Do you guys have an OT that we could? All of that, I think, is something that families would feel um, that that we're all working. It would be hard because in under that, Social Security would have to be under that. Uh, law Center, Disability Law Center would have to be under that roof. Um, people from agencies, DDS, Developmental Disability Services, Oklahoma Healthcare Authority. But do you see this is all this stuff that I have to know about, which I do, but man, it's just so difficult, especially if there's a job change or where do I go? I don't have the right number. That's not the right paper. So not only, I, not only do you have to not have to know about it, but you also know how to have to know how to navigate all that. Yeah. Or you know, yeah, who's, who's the that? labor of just navigating all those different places? Yeah. So a case manager, if you have a navigator, we, we call a case manager, that navigator will be with you for your, I'm having this help. I need someone to help me get a handrail um, on my stairwell for my child. It's something that we need and it's gonna help his balance. Who do we do, who do we call? Let me get, let me have, what's his name? We'll set up an appointment for you for Able Tech to come out there and look at it. We cure a couple things in one thing there. We cure the, the time and trying to find someone to, to get it. And then we also take care of a transportation issue, which is a lot of families by someone just coming. Here's the, here's the handrail that we need and the stairs that it needs to go on. We're gonna have an appointment there. You just gotta be there. So I, I think that there's a, a vision that I have there for it. Um, I know Palomar serves more than Oklahoma City as well, but to expand upon that, uh, would be that one place. But as we know, sometimes agencies like to silo, we have to figure out a way to, to work together because we are really, we're really not connecting on some of this stuff. So that's my dream is to have that whatever. And um, I think that that's something thinking in mind of statewide that it's, you know, the navigator would be there, but statewide and would be able to work with county offices and whatever that is. But I think that that's the, that's the understanding for that I would like to have. I think that would be great. So first website. <laughs> that does seem pretty basic in the 21st century, right? Yeah, I know. I'm, and I do think that the, there's a one on, there's a, there's something that you know, a lot of parents feel very isolated when they have a child with a disability, especially in the beginning. And so to have that that personal connection, whether it be in a county office or Oklahoma City that has the hub and then the county offices or whatever, but that one-on-one, -on -one, oh, you're not alone. So great, such a great feeling. Arnold, anything else to add? No, I'm... Yeah, lots to think about. There is. I, yeah. see, I always think that you guys are, you know, that you're you're pursuing, you're you're, you're moving this thing forward. No, I hope. I mean, that's the hope. Yeah. Um, you know, show up and don't stop. You know, it's. I think that there's a, 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 there's legislators up here that you can see them sweating up here, just really working. I I count myself as one of those. I like to do a lot of that FaceTime with people and get to know them and get to know their families and stuff. I think that's part of it. Um, and then, you know, that I'm still reeling in the ones that I don't see as much, which is good too. But um, I think I always give you guys more than what, more questions. Do you have, this is all, all good. Too much. More to talk about. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're good. And it, and it leaves, uh, 
it leaves the potential for more conversations on down the road too and you know not completely overwhelming our audience i think on this because we want to give them things to chew on and think about i hope i didn't overwhelm you guys no yeah. no no not very, at all. very greatly love your time and uh taking the time to talk about this with us so thank you so much for having me i appreciate it yeah it was good to see you good to see you guys have a good one Thank you for listening to this episode of ObserverCast. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and share our episodes far and wide on social media. If you're interested in sponsoring ObserverCast, please give Arnold Hamilton a call at 405-478-8700 or drop him an email at ahamilton at okobserver.org. You can also support ObserverCast with a tax-deductible donation to the Oklahoma Observer Democracy Foundation, whose mission is to help create a better, more informed Oklahoma. And to help keep us on the air, visit okobserver.org and click on the Donate button on the upper right side of the homepage. We also urge you to subscribe to the Oklahoma Observer, now in its 55th year of comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. We have a special digital subscription rate for ObserverCast listeners, only $1.99 a month for the first year. That's 50% off the usual rate for monthly digital subscribers. Just use the coupon code ObserverCast when checking out to get the discount rate. And finally, we want to thank Jared Deck for the music you're listening to in the background here. He's not just a resident of Norman anymore. He is now the Oklahoma State Representative for House District 44. Congratulations, Representative Deck. We're so proud of you. But you can still download his albums at iTunes and learn more, including dates for any upcoming performances at jareddeathmusic.com.